Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for another day to come into your presence. To praise you, O Lord, for the many blessings that you have given us through Jesus Christ. Lord, it is through Christ that we have all the things that we have. It is because of Christ that we exist even. Lord, we thank you for all the wonderful blessings in Christ. We thank you for the salvation that we have. We thank you for the justification that we are assured of in Jesus. As he died on the cross for our sins and our shame. So that we might have life in him. Oh Father, today reveal to us all the more the preciousness of Jesus to us. Let us see the blessings that we have in him. And Lord, if there are any today who do not know Jesus, let them see him. Let them come to him in faith. This, this I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 9 this morning. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. So how can we know anything? How can we know? How can we have certainty about anything? Well, if we're going to have certainty about anything, if we're going to truly know anything, then there, there needs to be evidence, right? We need to have we build certainty upon evidence, reasonable evidence. Uh, one time someone come to me and told me, uh, man, I think I have a kidney stone. I said, no, no, you don't have a kidney stone. Well, how do you know? Because you don't think you have a kidney stone. I've had a kidney stone. You don't think that. You know when you have a kidney stone. Uh, you are laying on the floor writhing in pain. That's how you know you have a kidney stone. There's reasonable evidence that you have a kidney stone. You don't think you have a kidney stone. You know you have a kidney stone. And all those who have had kidney stones said, Amen. You know that. right? There's reasonable evidence to that fact. And, and so... We have to have reasonable evidence. If we are to know something, we have to have that reasonable evidence, uh, that, that certainty, that that fact is true. Well, and last time we began to look at uh, Paul's letter here, or we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Galatians. And you remember, he's, he's combating false teachers who say, no, the gospel that Paul gave you is not the correct gospel. Paul preached... Uh, uh, salvation by God's grace through faith alone, but he didn't tell you the whole story. You have to have faith plus works. And Paul is arguing that his case that the gospel that he preached to the Galatians is the gospel. And he's beginning to unfold that argument, unfold his argument, uh, and to start his defense of the gospel that he preached preach to the churches of Galatia. 
Now, last week we looked at, began the argument. Last week began Paul's argument that salvation is by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. And there we saw two qualities of a true Christian. Two qualities of a true Christian. And those two qualities were a true Christian is justified by faith alone. He is justified. He is declared righteous in the sight of God by faith alone. And the second truth there, true, uh, a true Christian lives to God by faith alone. A true Christian lives to God by faith alone. And that was kind of the intro to his defense of the gospel. And so now he begins, as we go into chapter 3, he begins the defense of that statement, uh, of those couple of paragraphs there. And so what we see, Paul unfolds this, and if you want to kind of put this in your mind as we work through the book of Galatians, uh, Paul argues that salvation is justified by our salvation. We are justified by faith alone through chapters 3 through 4. And then when you get to chapters 5 through 6, then he works out the second part of his argument that a true Christian lives to God by faith alone. So now we're getting into that first part, a person, a true Christian, is justified by faith alone. And so how can we know that we are justified by faith alone. That's Paul's concern here as he begins to unfold this argument. And we see that in our text today when we come to verse 7. I just want to show you this before we read the text. In verse 7, he, he makes it clear his point for these two paragraphs that we're going to look at today. He says there, Know then, Know then, know there is in the imperative. It's the only imperative in this, these two paragraphs. Know then that it is those, who, those of faith who are sons of Abraham. You are a child of God by faith. You can know this. And so he wants the churches there in Galatia and he wants us to know how we can know that justification is by faith alone. And so he is going to give us some of the evidence, some of the proofs of that in this text today. And so we're going to see in this text three assurances that justification is by faith alone. Three assurances that justification, salvation, is by faith alone. And so we're going to see, we can know that justification is by faith alone because of the gospel message the work of the Holy Spirit, and the testimony of Scripture. We can know that justification is by faith alone because of the gospel message that Paul preached, that the Word of God preaches. We can know that justification is by faith alone through the work of the Holy Spirit, and we can know justification is by faith alone through the testimony of Scripture. So as we read our text then this morning, see if you can identify those as we read through. Now if you will, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Galatians chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 1. O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. 
Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have be having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham and the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So three assurances for us in our text today that justification is by faith alone. Now remember from last week, and if you weren't here last week, this is for your benefit. Remember what we're talking about when we're talking about justification. Justification is God's declared righteousness. His de declaration that we are morally upright, morally holy, morally perfect in His sight. We're not condemned, right? We're not condemned. The verdict coming down from the judge's bench is not condemned for your sin but the judgment coming down justified righteous in my sight and so when we're talking about justification we're talking about uh, part of salvation what it means to be saved before God we are looking towards a day when every one of us every person who has ever lived and ever will live will stand before God and give an account for their lives and on that day, when we stand before God, God will either render the verdict condemned for your sin, for your rebellion, for your treason against my sovereign reign, or he will count us justified in his sight, forgiven and invited into his kingdom. And so that's what's at stake here. That is what's at stake how shall we spend eternity? Will we spend eternity condemned, paying the penalty for our rebellion against God and the devil's hell? Or will we be justified in his sight, forgiven for our sins, and rewarded with his eternal blessings in his eternal kingdom? And so we need to know how are we justified. And last week we looked at that. We are justified by faith alone. By faith alone. And so Paul is giving us three assurances then in our text that justification is by faith alone. And the first assurance that we have here 
is this. You can know that justification is by faith alone because of the gospel message. You can know that justification is by faith alone because of the gospel message. And he tells us that in that first verse in chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Oh, can you feel the agony in Paul's heart? Here are these churches whom Paul has loved. He has been there. He has preached the gospel to him. He poured out himself to them. And now they have been led astray. They have been bewitched. They have been lured away from the true gospel. And in his aggravation, he cries out, Oh, foolish Galatians! Foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Who has enticed you away from the truth? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Uh, by saying publicly portrayed, he is, he is talking about the pronouncement, the declaration that he made when he was there with them. When he came through on his first missionary journey proclaiming the gospel, he says it was proclaimed to you. It was a public proclamation. It wasn't something in secret. It wasn't something that I told you in private. It wasn't like I was speaking out of the side of my mouth, but I publicly proclaimed it to you. Uh, the sense of the, the Greek there, the sense of that word is, is to, to placard it, to put up a billboard. He says, I put it out there before you. I publicly proclaimed this gospel, the good news to you. Now, what was in this good news? What was in the gospel message? He shows us here two things. Of course, much more is implied, but there's two key elements to the gospel that he proclaimed. The first is... Uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I proclaim to you Jesus Christ. Now that name is very important to us. What is he speaking, what is he talking about when he proclaims the name of Jesus Christ? Jesus, it means, literally means, Savior. That's what Jesus' name means. You go back to the Gospels and it will tell you, you shall call his name. When Jesus uh, talked to Joseph and Mary, he, t he commanded them, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save my people. Jesus means Savior. This is God's Savior. And not only is it God's Savior, it's God's Messiah. That's what Christ means. This is Jesus Christ, Jesus, the Messiah of God. Paul wants to bring to mind to these churches in Galatians that he came proclaiming the one true hope that God has been giving to mankind for all of history. This is Jesus Christ. Jesus, God's Messiah, God's chosen instrument of salvation. This is the Messiah whom God proclaimed to Adam and Eve when they sinned against God. In Genesis chapter 3, he said to Eve, and I will, and through your seed, your seed will crush the head of sin and the serpent. Your seed, singular seed, this one seed would be the one who crushed sin, crushed Satan, crushed the enemies of God. This one seed would accomplish it. When he came to Abraham, he said, through your seed, this one seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 
When it came to David, he says, your seed, your offspring, this one seed, I will establish his kingdom for an eternity. The one seed that was, taught, that was proclaimed to, to Adam and Eve, the one seed who was proclaimed to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one seed who was proclaimed to King David, was Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This is God's only plan of salvation. This is it. There's no backup plan. There's no plan B. This is the one Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no other option. It's Jesus. And what does he say about Jesus? I proclaim to you Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus Christ crucified. Now when you look at that word there, Jesus Christ crucified, that word crucified is in the perfect tense in the Greek. It's in the perfect tense. It's a perfect participle. Now what does that mean, that it's in the perfect tense? That's important for us to understand. It's in the perfect tense, meaning that it is a past action. It's something that, an action that took place in the past, but it has a, a continuous results. It has continuous results. He says, I proclaim to you Jesus Christ crucified. The crucifixion happened in the past. Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross. But his death on Calvary's cross has continuous results. It has results for us today. It affects us even today. Because it was on Calvary's cross that God poured out his wrath, his anger, his judgment for our sins upon Jesus, the Messiah. Oh, this is the most craziest good news ever announced, isn't it? I mean, who could ever think about a crucified Savior, a crucified King? That is just foolishness to the world, but it is the wisdom of God that He sent His Son Jesus Christ to come and live the life that we could never live, a life in complete obedience to the will of the Father, going as far as even dying, giving his life on Calvary's cross. He was obedient in every single way, yet he died on the cross. He wasn't dying on the cross for his sin and his shame. He was dying on the cross for our sin and our shame. It was there that the full judgment of God was poured out upon Jesus. He received our judgment in our place. He received that. He died for you and for me. And His death has a, a continuous result for us today. Because on the cross, He paid every penalty. He paid for every ounce of sin. He received all the judgment in full measure on Calvary's cross. That means there's nothing left to be done. There's no work left to be done. There's no sin left to be paid for. It's all been paid for by Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. There's nothing else. It happened back then, but the results of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is in full for us today. It's in force for us today. It continues. The result of that continues for us today so that we have the benefit of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel 
There's no other message. There's no message in Scripture, no room for salvation in Jesus plus works. No work can ever save us. No work can ever save us. There's no need for a work. For Christ completed the work when He died on the cross for our sins. You can know, dear friend, that justification is by faith alone because of the gospel message. The message that was declared there on Calvary's cross. Romans chapter 6 verse 10 tells us, For the death He died, the death that Jesus Christ died, He died to sin once for all. Once for all. For every person who will ever trust in Jesus, every sin has been paid for. It's done. It's over with. Jesus has paid the penalty. Imagine it it like this. Uh, We just came through the tax season, right? So imagine that, that you got a letter from your accountant and, and the, the letter said, I don't know what the deal is, but it comes out that you owe a billion dollars in taxes. You owe a billion dollars in taxes. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't afford a, million, a billion dollars. I'll never be able to pay a billion dollars back. But somehow or the other, we have, we've got that, that bill. We, we are due, we're due to pay, we're charged a billion dollars in taxes. Now, what do you do? You take a trip to the the IRS office and you go in there and you sit before the little worker there, the IRS agents. What in the world? How do I owe a billion dollars? And they come up on their little computer screen and they pull up your account and they say, whoa, wait, wait, no. No, you don't owe a billion dollars. Someone's come and paid that bill for you. They have paid the debt for you that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary's cross you see we have a debt before God that we can never repay we can do all the good deeds that we could ever think about doing but we can never repay the debt that we owe to God but Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross he paid the debt in full and our account is clear that's what it means justified By faith in Christ alone, our account is cleared in Jesus. That is the message of the gospel, the message that Paul proclaimed. Commenting on this verse, John Stott said, The gospel is not good advice to men, but good news about Christ. Not an invitation to us to do anything, but a declaration of what God has done. Not a demand, but an offer. The offer is believe in Jesus and be justified. Believe in Jesus and be justified. So, You can know that justification is by faith alone because of the gospel message, the message preached by Paul and preserved for us in God's holy word. Second, you can know that justification is by faith alone because of the work of the Holy Spirit. You can know that justification is by faith alone because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now Paul, as he continues on in verse 2, he he begins to to set out several rhetorical questions. 
There's several rhetorical questions. In other words, the, uh, they're rhetorical in that the answer to these questions should be obvious. They should be obvious. And we learn several things from this. We learn, first of all, that by faith we receive. You receive the Spirit. Notice what he says in, in verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing and, and with faith? Of course, the, the answer here that should be obvious to the Galatians and should be to us as the church today is that we receive the Spirit through hearing and faith. Here's the truth of salvation. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we hear the gospel and we see Jesus and we trust in Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and moves into us. He moves into our hearts. We receive it. It is a gift to us. We receive Him as a gift. He comes and He lives in us. He dwells in us. It's a gift to us. And it's received not by doing good deeds. It's not like God says, well, if you do enough, I'll come and dwell in you. No, He says, by faith. By faith we receive the indwelling Spirit. And Paul is reminding the churches of Galatia, how did you receive the Spirit? You received the Spirit not by works of the law. You received the gift of the Spirit by faith. When I preached the gospel to you, when I proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, in a moment, in an instant, your life was transformed when the Holy Spirit moved in and changed your heart. How did you receive the Spirit, dear friend? Did you receive receive it through works of the law or by faith by faith you receive the spirit then he moves on to the second question are you so foolish having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh are you being perfected by the flesh that word there tells us being perfected tells us a part of the activity that the lord is working in us through the holy spirit this is that process of sanctification. It's a process of God making us holy, working to make us perfect. We have this truth told to us in Scripture that when we come to faith in Jesus, as the Holy Spirit moves in, He moves in to, to make us perfect, to begin that sanctifying process, to make us holy, not just justified, not just holy in the sight of God, but to make us actually holy. He's perfecting us now we know that scripture also tells us that this is not something that gets completed in this lifetime there's still a, a third process to come that is the process of glorification that will take place when christ returns that's when the perfection will be made complete we will be we will be completely perfect in the sight of god we will be, we'll be completely perfect and actually perfect before god because we will see jesus as he is but even in this life, the Holy Spirit is working to perfect us. He's working to make us holy, actually. And see, Paul says, are you being perfected? Are you being perfected by the Holy Spirit? Is it the Holy Spirit's work, or is it your work? And the answer is, it's the Holy Spirit's work. It's the Holy Spirit's work. By faith, the Holy Spirit is perfecting us. The Holy Spirit is working on us, transforming us, sanctifying us before God. 
So by faith we received the Holy Spirit. By faith we are being perfected by the Holy Spirit. And third, by faith you witness the miracles of the Spirit. Now continuing on in verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain? Now that word suffer, I want to clarify this a little bit here just quickly. Uh, the word suffer there is the Greek word uh, pasco. The Greek word pasco. And it can have two different meanings. It can either mean to suffer or it can mean to experience. It can mean either one. How do you tell which one is meant? Well, by the context in which it is used. And so in this context, though I see the ESV, it, it translates that suffer. Uh, so do the King James and New King James. Uh, but I think the NIV actually translates this to experience. And I think that's correct. In the context here, as he's talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I think the right translation would be, do you did you experience so many things in vain? Did you experience the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, in the life of the church, in vain? He is looking at the experience. John MacArthur came to, comes to that same conclusion. He says that word there should be translated, translated experience. So he says then, do you experience so many things, or did you experience so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he, does God, who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now what is he talking about the miracles? Well, of course we know in that first century, the first century of Christianity, there were a lot of miracles taking place, especially when the when the apostles took the gospel out to the nations, miracles took place. That was part of, of God showing that this was His work. This was His Word. But there's also here, and I think this is more the, the emphasis that Paul is drawing in on here, there's the wonderful miracle, the greatest miracle of all, the miracle of salvation. Because you notice what he says there. Notice what he says. Uh, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or hearing with faith? I think he's talking about the miracle of salvation because it's the miracle of salvation that comes through hearing and by faith, by hearing the gospel message and by faith. You know, salvation is the, most great, the greatest miracle of all times. When you think about miraculous healings and, and even Jesus walking on the water, wonderful miracles, but the greatest miracle of all is when God turns a cold, black, stony heart into a heart of flesh and transforms we sinners into sons and daughters of God. That is the most greatest miracle of all times. And praise God when we see cold black hearts turn to hearts of flesh. Praise God when we see reprobates turn to children of God. Praise God when we see drug addicts absolutely transform and change, able to release from the bondage of drug addiction to be a child of God. Praise God when we see prostitutes freed from their prostitution to become a child of God. Praise God that you and I have been freed from our sin 
and our rebellion to be children of God. Oh, that's the greatest miracle of all. And we see that same miracle today as people hear the Gospel and believe in Jesus and experience absolute transformation. Oh, we see, we can know that justification is by faith alone because of the reception, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, the perfecting of the Holy Spirit, and the miracles of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and in the lives of others. Kurt Wagner was a, he was a bodyguard to Adolf Hitler. And he revered Hitler greatly. He, he viewed him as a god even. And so you can imagine when Berlin fell and, and Hitler committed suicide, his faith was absolutely crushed. And so Wagner, he sought no other course of action but to take his own life. So he, he had planned to commit suicide himself, but he went out one last time for one last cup of coffee before he killed himself. On his way to the cafe, he came across a gospel tract, and it intrigued him, so much so that he sought out a godly pastor who proclaimed the gospel to him. And in a moment, in an instant, as the gospel came to his ears, Kurt Wagner was transformed by the power of the gospel and this violent, uh, this violent Nazi in an instant was transformed in a, into a peace-loving child of God. There's no explanation for that except the power of the Holy Spirit working in a sinner's heart. Oh, we can know that justification is by faith alone because of the work of the Holy Spirit. We can know that justification is by faith alone because of the message of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. Finally, you can know, dear friend, that justification is by faith alone because of the testimony of Scripture. You can know that justification is by faith alone because of the testimony of Holy Scripture. As Paul continues on there, he says there at the end, or there in verse 6, just as, like this, just as Abraham believed God and, is counted to, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham and the Scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, you Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What is Paul doing here? He is, in essence, telling the Galatians church, Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. He is taking them to the Old Testament. He is grounding everything that he has proclaimed, will proclaim in the very Word of God. And he is reminding them of the promise of God to Abraham. In, in Genesis chapter 12, 
we see what Paul is talking about here. Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham while he is in Ur of the Chaldeans, and he says to him, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Here God comes to Abraham, this pagan, this worshiper of idols who is living in the land of Ur, and he comes to him with a promise, leave your homeland, I am setting out to bless you. I am going to give you blessings. I am going to pour out my blessings upon you. And not only that, Abraham, but through your offspring, through your seed, that one seed, I'm going to bless all of the nations. I'm going to bless all of the nations. So we have here God's promise. Oh, this is the gospel in a nutshell. God's promise. God promises to bless. He blesses, and His blessings are, are go, go out not only to Abraham, but to all of the world. All the nations will be blessed, Abraham, in you, in your offspring. We have here God's promise. And what does Abraham do with God's promise? He believes God's promise. He believed God's promise. So Abraham went. What is Abraham doing there? He is exercising his faith. God says, go, I'm going to bless you. And Abraham believed God and he went. He left. He left his home. He left his all of his support, his family support. He left it all and he went. He is exercising his faith. It's not a work. It's not a work. He believes God and he's following the word of God. It's just like we said last week, talking about faith in this chair right here. You can, you can know that this chair will hold you up but but your faith means nothing. That knowledge means nothing until you sit down in it and rest in it. That's faith. Abraham believed God and he rested in the Word and the promise of God and he acted accordingly. It wasn't his action that saved him. It was his faith that saved him. And God clears this up on over in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham again and he tells him that again, he, he reminds him of this, of this promise he has made for him. He says, Abram, fear not, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. And Abraham asked God, what can you give me? I have no offspring, I have no heir. And he says, this other guy, this guy here, uh, Eleazar of Damascus, he's going to get the inheritance, my inheritance. But God says, Abraham, look toward the heavens in verse 5 of chapter 15, Genesis chapter 15. Look toward the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. That verse that Paul quoted back there in Galatians. He believed God. He believed the promise of God. And God counted his 
faith, his belief in the promise of God as righteousness. It wasn't his actions. It wasn't his deeds. It was his faith that was counted as righteousness. So we see in the example of Scripture from beginning to end that God promised, Abraham believed, and God accounted faith as righteousness. From beginning to end, dear friend, justification is by faith in Christ alone. From chapter 3 of Genesis to the end of Revelation, justification, salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. And it is by God's grace alone. You can't earn your favor before God. You can't earn your salvation before God. There's no way to do that. But God in His grace and mercy has provided a way through Jesus Christ if you will trust in Him. The blessings of God that He promised to Abraham are realized through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Dear friend, do you have faith today? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone? You can know today that justification is by faith alone because of the gospel message given to us in God's Word. You can know that because of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. If you haven't experienced this, look to the Christians around you who have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives and they stand to you as a testimony of God's work in them. And justification, we can know that justification is by faith alone because from beginning to end in Scripture, that has been God's message of salvation. That has been His method of justification of we wretched sinners. Oh, do you believe in Jesus today? Have you trusted in Him? You know, today we are observing the Lord's Supper. And as we take these elements here in a moment, they represent the sacrifice that Jesus made in our place. The bread broken representing, representing His body broken for our sin. It should have been our bodies broken, but Jesus Christ came and He was broken for us. It was His blood that was poured out represented in the cup. It was His blood that was poured out for our sins once for all so that all who believe in Him might be saved. By partaking in that, we are pronouncing our faith, our trust in Jesus. Do you trust in Him today? Have you given your life for him, to Him? Are you resting in Him? Or are you trusting in something else? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through trust in Jesus that we're saved. Do you trust in Him? If not, turn to Him today. There's nothing else to do but to turn and trust in Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for the message of the Gospel. We thank You today, Lord, that we are not justified by our own actions, our own works, because, Lord, we know that our actions, our works will forever fail us. 
we will always come up short to your perfect righteousness. But Lord, we thank you that you have accomplished righteousness for us in Jesus Christ. And that in Jesus we may be justified in your sight. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. If there's any, Lord, who do not know Jesus today, let them turn their hearts to know him. Give them new life by the power of your spirit. Let them trust in Jesus. Let them receive life in him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.